it's just one of those neat things where the Bible combines with the history that we've learned extra Bible, right, outside of the Bible, and it, and it makes the Bible come to life even more. It's just neat. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Hello. Good morning, everybody. We were and just sitting morning for this session. It is morning for this session. We're so. I don't know what to say. We, yeah, we've been we've been rather uh, confusing confused with our times lately because we've been recording sometimes in the mornings and sometimes evenings, and we get a little tongue-tied when we <laughs> when we greet each other because we forget when I'm we... I'm just going to change my greeting to, greetings, earthlings. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're assuming, you're assuming our, uh, our audience is all from Earth there. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't know. This could be getting shot out into space. Martians might be picking it up. I don't know. That would, that'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. <laughs> Speaking of well, what you watched as a child. Well, yeah, see, we, just before we recorded, we were talking about the merits of 1970s television. And Karen and Amy were big on Little House on the Prairie. And I and probably Tracy were more along the lines of The Incredible Hulk, Dukes of Hazard, and Battlestar Galactica. So early 70s, early 80s TV. Um, and, uh, you know, my vote would in, still In all its glory. It. Oh yeah. yeah! Hey, there was some, there was some good stuff there. Lou Ferrigno was—he was the man. I yeah. went over to a client's house the other day, and he was watching the original A Team, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, it still exists!" <laughs> Surprisingly, that's a show I never got into. I don't know why. I liked Mr. T, but I never got into the A Team. Probably because my parents had control of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't. Yeah. What are Happy Days, Mork and Mindy? Oh yeah, Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy was brilliant. Oh yeah. Well, this guy, this guy, this poor guy was laughing at me because, like, I showed up to, um, like, do his med box to fill his prescriptions for the next week and whatever, and get him all set up. I show up and I and I've got like my bags full of his bags full of medicine, and I take one look at the TV and I was like, "Dude, is that the (laughs) ATM?" I just sat down and stared at the TV, and he's looking at me like. Wait, what? What just happened? Oh, funny. You're usually so competent. I was like, yeah, but it's the A team. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, forgot about Knight Rider. Knight Rider was a favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah that car. Little kid. Uh, that's, on, that's on Netflix right now, and I introduced my kids to it a while back, and they liked it too, which surprised the heck out of me because they usually they look at that older stuff like, oh, I tried to show them the greatest American hero, and they're just going, what is this? And I'm I've enjoyed it. I'm just enjoying it and laughing at it because it's cheesy and corny and and dumb. And it was supposed to be, but the the boys are looking at it, you know, because they're <laughs> they're so uh, into like the Marvel and movies that are out there, the su- the superhero movies with all the great special effects now, and they're just watching that going, this is terrible. You didn't understand <laughs> our world. I tried to explain that. Yeah, it's, it's like part yeah, of it's like- pager, and he's like, what? So can you text back with it? I'm like, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> go to a phone and call someone. Right. Oh, well, that was really effective, wasn't it? I was like, hey, it was cutting edge back then. It was cutting edge at the time. Hush now. Everybody had a pager. 
Yeah, no. So anytime you try to introduce your kids to something at the time, it's like, okay, you have to put yourself into the context of the time. Then you'll be able to enjoy it. Yeah, you have to keep quarters in your pocket because, first of all, public phone calls were up to a quarter by then. And then when your pager went off, you had to go find a cell, um, oh dear, a Superman thing. What's it called? A phone booth, a public phone, a pay phone. (laughs) There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. And you had to, you know, insert a quarter and you had to dial the callback number. Like, that's how that worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, different times, different times. Well, righty. Well, speaking of different times, let's go way back in time where we are talking about the book of Daniel. And uh, if you've been following along with us, you know that Daniel is was a captive from uh, Judah who had been taken to Babylon. He served through several kings. And has seen and interpreted several visions uh, over the course of the book that he's written. And we're going to get into chapter 10 this morning. And uh, things take a turn for us this week, where in the past I've been able to follow a little better. And this reading, I'm going to be honest with you, I am really counting on you guys to tell me what the heck is going on <laughs> because 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 there's so much there's so much historical detail being given without a lot of context that my my mind is spinning. So, but uh, let, let's get into this because it starts out really interesting though with chapter ten and in talks about being in the third year of King Cyrus. But uh, let me go to Amy here first. Well, just real quick, I thought it might be helpful to talk about the fact that 10, 11, and 12 are really one literary unit. Yes. So, so, you know, and we didn't have chapter and verse divisions until the 12th century. And so before that, you know, everything was in scrolls and and it was just a continuous text. So, um, So that's helpful to understand. And so at first, you know, Daniel is describing what happened and where he was spiritually emotionally etc in chapter 10 then 11 is like an expansion of the previous visions that he's already had so it gives much much greater detail to what we've already discussed so that's helpful mm-hmm. i think to to know that it's because uh, that's the deal with daniel it's it's always repeating and expanding and so a person even though it's only 12 chapters long a person can spend a great deal of trying time trying to understand it yeah yeah, and I think somebody with a better historical context probably have a, a better idea of some of these things here. I mean, this is a this is a situation where my my cultural backgrounds Bible has more notes in it than it does text because they're really trying to explain at least what they interpret as being the um, uh, uh, being what is being talked about here. Uh, and I'm looking through it and I have no idea if they're right or not. I feel like a book that was super helpful to me last year was William H. Shea's uh, Reader's Guide to Daniel. And it's just so, he carefully lays out the history and um, and also uh, is just, uh, puts it in plain language. I think it's very, very helpful. Yeah, you were, I was in that uh, group that you were leading out and uh, I think you used, you used him a lot to help uh, discern a lot of this stuff. Even then, my head was swimming, but uh, Mine so, too. Uh, but it was <laughs> but it was helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is a this is a case where it's like it really helps to have that better concept uh, uh, of history. Have uh, 
have some input from different places where it will help to uh, interpret what we're talking about. And so uh, backing up here just briefly then, Daniel starts chapter 10 talking about the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And this is when he gets a message. He, he says, uh, like he does a lot of times, the message is true. He says the appointed time was long and he understood the message. So Daniel's doing way better than me here. Yes, <laughs> because because uh, how he understands what he's about to write, a lot of it to me is I'm just uh, it's a very muddled. I don't I won't call it a mess. I can f- I can follow the progression of what he's saying, but I don't I don't have uh, a historical context for it. And so maybe in that aspect, he understands that he's seeing a progression of uh, to his perspective, future history. Uh, he understands he's seeing a succession of powers and and whatnot. And I suppose he's had enough visions of this in the past to understand that, okay, this is this must just be more of of more of the same. See, and I, I look at it and I have written down here that to me, just give me an overview of where he's at physically, mentally, emotionally. That's that's kind of what he gave me. Nothing else really. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he's been for some reason and he doesn't really tell us why, or at least I didn't quite get why, but he says he's been fasting and mourning. Uh, my guess uh, I'm suspecting here that he's kind of if he's writing all this at the same time when he was talking about when we were looking at chapter 9, he's talking about the 70 weeks prophecy that we talked about extensively last week. You can go back and and read that and that's that is some interesting stuff. But he's he's seeing he was seeing things that um, that were going to happen, and he was seeing, you know, he started he started that whole thing kind of in a oh how do I want to say he was very repentant for his people and the way they had been because they're coming to the end of their seventy years in captivity, and to him it seemed like they really hadn't changed anything. And so maybe this is why he's mourning and fasting because he's still concerned for his people and and where they're going to go. That's the thing that makes the most sense to me on that. But he has a vision of a man wearing linen. Uh, this man's waist is girded with gold. He says he has a body like barrel, a face like lightning, eyes like torches of fire, arms and feet like bronze. And a voice like a multitude. Now, some of that imagery to me was reminding me of some of these images that he was seeing. Er, well, no, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe I'm thinking of Ezekiel's crazy fever dream vi- visions that he was having. Some of those, some of that imagery seems similar to those creatures that Ezekiel was seeing. Although Daniel. Uh, presents him more as a man where Ezekiel's was just something very, very weird and strange and hardly able, hard, I'm hardly able to uh, uh, describe it. But that idea of the body like barrel and, and, and such. So it make th- this to me seems like he's seeing something very similar to what Ezekiel was seeing. And didn't we determine that these guys were kind of contemporaries of each other? Daniel and Ezekiel, they were kind of having these things happen at the same rough time. 
uh, roughly, I should say. And so it would make some sense maybe that they're seeing they're seeing things that are kind of the same, but showing different perspectives of things. So this part was was really interesting to me because it does like at first he's seeing this amazing being that's mostly light and fire and just, you know, there's a great quaking that falls on him when he sees this being um and then a little further down in verse 10 it says behold a hand touched me and set me on my hands and knees so so he must have been completely prone you know down on the ground Mm -hmm. um and so this first part i believe he's seeing the deity so he's probably seeing christ and then in verse 10 i feel like i mean you know that's an angel who's helping him and i is that what you guys got from it as well? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the thing that, um, like you were saying, you know, that he had been mourning and stuff like that. But, the, you know, verse one says, you know, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. And at that time, Daniel mourned for three weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as a fragile little redhead, I would just like to point out that somehow this human being went three weeks without using lotion. So there's that, but I'm anyway, sure we're bathing, right? Three weeks, huh? Yeah, no, that's um, that is not possible. I would actually shrivel up and flake off into nothingness. Like that is just, I don't even understand that. But he is a brave, brave man for having faced that. Um, <laughs> but then, if you go down a few verses, you know, the angel, um, the angel says, let's see where to go. In verse 12, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So the three weeks that Daniel was fasting and depressed and not using lotion, he, this angel, this messenger was trying to come to him. Uh, it says, uh, so this angel says, that the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So the reason that Daniel was upset for three weeks is because he was waiting for the explanation. He saw all of this chaos and war and horror and, and did not have any explanation. He had prayed for it, but he was still waiting for the explanation. Mm-hmm. Now, this is trying to remember when Gabriel came and saw him, what point he was still we were still talking the time of Belshazzar then. I don't know. This is something that has been on Daniel's mind for quite a while. He's uh, he's been willing to not willing. I shouldn't say willing. It's just it's something that has been pressing on him for quite a while. And so you know, these angels keep coming with Belshazzar. It was specifically said it was Gabriel. This time I'm with Amy, and it seems like maybe this is a vision of a certain vision of Christ himself. Not not what we tend to see. I mean, it talks about an angel or it talks about a man, but I kind of have in my notes written angel. I don't know. It seems like maybe he's getting some very direct uh, uh, information here. So I'm kind of the newbie and maybe you guys have already talked about this, but there's a lot of discussion about is Michael Christ. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most of, I mean, 
I believe it is um, based on a few other passages like Jude 9 talks about how, you know, Moses was laid to rest and, um, you know, God vied for his body and said, you know, I'm going to take him. And Satan was like, no, you're not. Um, and then First Thessalonians 4 talks about how the voice of the archangel will wake the dead. But then in John, Jesus says um, that the voice of the son of man will wake the dead. And so they must be the same being. And so where we're faulted for that belief is that a lot of people think that Michael is a created being, but in reality, he is, the, well, according to, if you tie these scriptures together, he is the archangel, which just means the leader of the angels. And mm -hmm. a deity, of course, would be the leader of the angels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're not saying, when, when we say, it, I think we have talked about Michael a little bit, and we're not, we don't. By saying that we think that Michael is Jesus, that's not saying that we think Jesus is a typical, what we think of as an angel. We're saying that it's more like a title for that third part of the Trinity, and he takes on different roles throughout, throughout different parts of history. And that is one of the roles he has taken and a name that he has taken on for that role. Right, the uh, leader of the angels. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, in verse 13, where he's referring to Michael, um, is it that Michael or is it a different Michael? Because what he says is, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Mm, uh-huh, I see. Yeah, so, so that's it's all very interesting to me. I've never been super clear on the answer. Like when I read some of the you know the big passages where you know Michael does this and then then Michael does that, then it sounds like he's Jesus the mm -hmm. archangel like right but then right. um but then here like is this the same michael or I got a little than, or then what is in if if it if it is jesus then what is the chief prince because it says one of the chief princes right. mm -hmm. you stole my thunder yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'll sit here <laughs> so and you can't see me all right <laughs> yeah. right. Tracy on here because he looks pretty. It's one naked. of my pearls you just stole. <laughs> one of the chiefs. One of the chiefs. Yeah. Tracy, you and I are just going to sit back and let the let the more and let the more the intelligent control of the podcast today. That's right. That's <laughs> right. We are going to let them school us today. You know what? I'm just going to mute myself right now to stop myself from being wildly passive aggressive. Oh no no yeah. no! Now it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> So the, the ones that make me think it is, is, okay, Revelation 12 verse, what verse is it? You know, Revelation 12 is like the whole, <clears throat> the whole great controversy between Christ and Satan. And, right. And, uh, and it says, and there was war in heaven. This is verse seven. Michael and his angels fought and mm -hmm. the dragon fought and his angels. But mm -hmm. then there's a passage, which I can't think of right now, where Jesus says, it's right after the disciples have been casting out demons and all that. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Um, and so to me, it seems like, okay, that's the same being, the same one as is in Revelation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is the passage that confuses me. And it just makes me wonder if it's, if it's a different Michael mm -hmm. or if there are different beings within Christ's same power structure that we are just unaware of. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah. It, like, you know, what is the chief, like, what is the chief prince, and how many are there? Because this very clearly says one of the chief princes. Yeah. And we just don't have those answers, or I don't have those answers. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, I mean, this is not a hill we're going to try to die on here or anything like right. that. Uh, it just, there's some stuff that leads us to think that, that at least a lot of times in the Bible, when it talks about Michael, it's talking about an aspect of Christ. I think... You know, aside from the question of Michael, this is one of the most interesting passages in Scripture because, you know, in our little world, I feel like the the whole spiritual realm is so hidden so much of the time. And we're not aware of the fact that angels are going in and fighting for specific kingdoms. And sometimes our prayers influence that. And there's beings that are going in and, you know, being master of, you know, this country or that country. And and so here's this this thing going on where Daniel's just like, well, I'm going to pray about this. And then he gets this vision of, you know, I came with my my host and Michael came and assisted me and we fought the, the angel of the king of Persia and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. And that's that was a part of it that was intriguing to me, but also a little confusing to me because. I mean, are we talking about literal king of Persia here? Because it seems odd to me that this king of Persia would cause enough trouble for God that it would actually detain him. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. So I'm I'm curious on that, but then I guess I guess it depends on what it means by struggling with him. I mean, if he was trying to allow the king the king of Persia time to come to a to come to a conclusion or something like that, I can I guess I can see that. I don't know. It was just, uh, it was, it was, it was a piece of it that I was, was struggling with a bit. Okay. So I have a, a, a question for you and I went back and forth in my notes because in the beginning on in ten one, it says Cyrus, the King of Persia, mm-hmm. but then it says the Prince of the kingdom of Persia. Could he may possibly mean I'm thinking that he was saying basically like Satan like the could be earth because hasn't Satan been referred to as the prince of this earth? Yeah. Yeah. Paul yeah. called him the god of this world. Right. And, and Jesus yeah, referred to him as the prince of this world. Yep. So you know what I mean? I'm wondering if he's just saying, you know what, this really isn't first day God's kingdom, but Satan's kingdom. And I had to fight against Satan basically to get here. Yeah. Possibly. It, it still would surprise me that he took that it took several weeks was it it was weeks right or days i don't remember yeah three weeks three weeks. yeah three weeks you have, to, you have to remember too that satan was or satan lucifer whatever you want to go by was right up there directly under god himself so another chief angel archangel whatever you want to call it is that a formidable formidable you know foe or an opponent that it did i mean i, I can i can see where because I mean, I kind of got that maybe that was the, the the situation too, where he's somehow struggling with him. Uh, I mean, when we get to the end of the of the day, though, I mean, God God struggling against the devil. We we put this concept on Satan and grant him powers that I don't think he really has. I mean, there would be no real struggle against Satan if God decided to just you know be done. So I don't know something something's happening in the background that that I don't that I'm not 
fully aware of. And I don't, I don't think maybe we even need to necessarily be fully aware of other than to understand that there is something that's happening that took mm-hmm. some time. It's probably it's probably more on a human scale because we're we're a little dense sometimes like I'm 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 demonstrating right now. And it takes us a while to come to conclusions, come to concepts, come to realities. So maybe that's maybe that's something that's happening in here, too. Uh, now, Daniel's the only one who's seeing this guy, this angel, this being, whoever, whatever he is. And he's terrified. He's absolutely terrified by being in the presence of this of this person, this being. But the but the response of the angel is peace, be strong. And I think that's kind of cool. Actually, fear not peace and be strong. And yeah. So he's been he's been three weeks without without um, let's see, it says I ate no choice food, no meat nor wine. Right. So he's he's weak physically. Right. He's mm-hmm. overwhelmed by this big message that he got and the three weeks of waiting for the understanding. And then and uh, let's see, in verse nine, when he's when he sees this, you know, this um bronze being walking towards him and talking it says when i heard him speaking as i listened to him i fell into a deep sleep my face to the ground so he goes face forward splat so Mm -hmm. he's he's a bit of a wreck at this point and then here comes the angel so he's overwhelmed he's physically weak and he hasn't had lotion in three weeks i feel like that's important (laughs) and then here comes the angel and lifts him to his hands and knees and says here have some strength (laughs) so you keep going on about the uh, the lotion and to me i'm like no pleasant food. You know, the Bible speaks to all of us in different ways, Matt. <laughs> and emollients just happen to be Karen's. Yes. Like, emollients are important. I'm like, I'm like, Daniel had to go for weeks with no pizza. That's just wrong. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so... Yeah, so this, so this angel, he's going to have to return to the fight with this Prince of Persia... And but he says when he leaves, the prince of Greece will come. See, and this is part of what makes me think that he's literally talking about an earthly prince of Persia. Because we we know, we've talked about this succession of kings. We know that after the Medo-Persians, Greece comes in. We've, we've, we've seen that through several visions of Daniel now. And we're getting another one here. Very clearly explained that when he leaves to go fight this prince of Persia, this prince of Greece is going to come in. I don't get all of it. I don't. I don't get much of it. <laughs> uh, I just. I'm really struggling with this idea of this heavenly being having a conflict that is really requiring time. I mean, like he's personally struggling against this prince of Persia. But if I think it through i mean he took seven years dealing with nebuchadnezzar he's you know he takes time you know if we even go all the way back to uh pharaoh and the exodus how long did that how long did that go and i suppose you could say that god was struggling with him through those times too so it feels like there's a piece of the puzzle that we aren't being given there's something going on with the prince of persia that god's trying to deal with trying to allow to work itself out Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And, but he already knows that the succession of kings is going to happen and that Persia is going to get replaced by Greece. We get into chapter 11 then, and it goes on. This is one of those spots where, oh, who said it? I think Amy said it. It's all one narrative. It, it goes right into the first year of Darius the Mede. 
Uh, I'm just trying to figure out this timeline because he talks about, so we started chapter 10 in the third year of Cyrus. 11 begins with the first year of Darius. And I can't, I'm having, I'm, I'm just blanking on, on who came first and who came second. Darius came after Belshazzar. Darius was first. Yeah, so Belshazzar, Darius, right. Cyrus. And because Darius died two years after Babylon fell. And then wasn't it Cyrus? Followed by his nephew Cyrus in the third year. Yeah, I think, yeah, that sounds, that sounds right to me. And so... I don't know Daniel's bouncing all over the place in in the in the timeline here, and and so that that is adding to my confusion a bit here too. But in this case, though, it's not Daniel who's doing the talking; it's still this this being that's talking to Daniel, because this being says, "Also in the first year of Darius, I even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him." So it's like this this being this being is like kind of given daniel a glimpse behind the curtain of what's of what's been going on and so he's been he's been dealing with this prince of persia now which i'm guessing is cyrus but he's talking about and but i had been dealing with darius i think that's where i am uh i think that's where i I, i'm starting to get it put together i feel like it's kind of like reading the screw tape letters you know like you think you're dealing with one thing but then in reality, there's these beings behind us all sort of, you know, fighting the great battle. Yeah. So he starts talking about this first year of Darius, where he was lifting Darius up. Then he begins to talk about how three more kings are going to come up in Persia. And the fourth king, and I'm thinking this is fourth, including, I don't know, <laughs> there's going to be a fourth king. In, in this that is going to be stronger than all the rest of them now those these three, these three kings are we talking about remember when we were talking about the bear lifted on one side he had three ribs in his mouth oh yeah uh, and then there was what was the other one there was another one where that was all that imagery was given to us in a different way and so we're talking about i think we're talking about persia but then there's the this fourth king is going to be stronger than all the others fourth king meaning rome I don't think we're to Rome yet because or we're still talking about king. Persia. Okay, so fourth king within the Medo-Persian Empire. I okay. think that's what we're saying. I was looking into that. So I think what they're saying is, I think it was Darius, Cyrus, um, and then it went to Artaxerxes, and then Xerxes is the four that they have listed here. When I was like supplementing it somewhere else. Well, I think it gets a little bit confusing because we have all these co-regions. So like Darius the Mede is co-regent of Cyrus. And then Cambyses is the son of Cyrus. And then we have this guy, False Smyrtus. Um, but then I have that the fourth king is uh, Xerxes Ahasuerus, which is the husband of Queen Esther. Yeah. So, um, right. And he is by far the most powerful and the most wealthy, and he throws his wealth around. And so he's known for this elaborate lifestyle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that is helpful in identifying him. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the ones that I have. Okay. Yeah. Was Xerxes the one, and I, uh, this is a total aside, but here, was Xerxes the one that the 300 Spartans held off against? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
I thought so. That is an amazing, that amazing story. Co that, that combination. Okay. So wait, okay. So just fun little story here. My son was in jail when your brother-in-law, Amy, came and preached about that whole thing. Or was oh, it your really? sister? Was it your sister-in-law? Sister-in-law. Yep. Sister-in-law came and preached about that whole connection. And I had never put that together. So I went and did a whole bunch of research. And then I wrote this long letter to my son in jail. And I was like, oh my gosh, guess what I learned in church last week? Do you remember this story? And then do you remember this movie? Hey, guess what? Right. So then I kind of like spell out the whole thing. So the next time he called me, he goes, mom, like I read your letter to my cellmate and then my cellmate went and got all his friends. And then I read your letter to like, so it turned out like that their entire, like half the, half the little jail that he was sitting in sat down and, and he was like reading this letter to them. And then I was just like, oh my goodness, what a funny thing to have happen. Oh, that is funny. What's interesting about that too, is I had invited a friend to church that particular day. And it was like, she's so completely unchurched and like had no history. And I just remember thinking, Oh, poor thing, because here was this massively detailed sermon. And here's this friend who's like, what are they talking about? Like, it was a complete over the head thing because she'd never heard of any of that. And I felt so bad. <laughs> oh, but yeah, my son, my son was fascinated, you know, and, and years later, he was like, Mom, I still think about that. Like, that's, that's so crazy. So it's just one of those neat things where the Bible combines with the history that we've learned extra bible right outside of the bible and it and it makes the bible come to life even more it's just neat so it is really neat and i remember the first time literally the very first time i became very interested in prophecy my mom had my taken mom. me to the shakespeare festival up in boulder and uh, we watched antony and cleopatra and i remember thinking why would why would god not care about all that's going on you know throughout history like that and then i found out that that shows up in Daniel chapter 11. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, and so it was very interesting to me that, you know, God does give details about what's going on in the world so that we can look at prophecy and go, okay, he knew this was gonna happen, everything's in control. Yeah, so that, yeah, that, that, that whole story of the 300 Spartans is an amazing story. It's not in the Bible, but it's cool to have that context of when things are happening. To facing and... off against Esther's husband is just mind blowing. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, and it gives us a concept of how powerful that that Prince of Persia, King of Persia, was to be able to to expand like that and conquer and be feared like feared worldwide, or at least as far you know as worldwide as that region was i guess you know you say the whole world at that time and they didn't you know it, it, it relatively small by today's standards but but that that context is pretty cool maybe now would be a good time to talk about verses three and four so hmm. three and four say and the mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will uh and then he will <laughs> And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. So that seems super confusing, unless you remember that we've already been told that a fourth king will arise and it will be the king of Greece. And then suddenly you can fit it all together and you can fit it together directly from other passages in the Bible. And so it's not confusing because 
we know that those two verses then are going to apply directly to Alexander the Great. And he's, his kingdom was divided among his four generals and not, not to his own children. So not to his posterity. Yep. And, and boom, you're like, oh, I do understand it. Right. Yeah, that was that was the part that I still did understand because the, enough of that stuff fit with what we were talking before. Because there was the now I'm going to try to remember. We had the goat with two horns. <laughs> one was bigger than the other. We knew, and that was that was the correlation with the bear that was raised up on one side. So the bear and the goat represented Persia, um, and then the the goat, if I'm remembering correctly, was taken out by the ram, right? But then the ram sprouted the four horns going in the different directions. Um, but we knew, so we, we knew that the the ram was Greece, represented by Alexander the Great. His followed by the four generals, followed by the four generals. Uh, and uh, and then there was a little horn that came up out of that. Um, or from that or it was introduced into that. What was that? Yeah, the little a little horn came up and uprooted one of the others. Yeah, yeah. And so that was that was all stuff that that was all making sense to to this uh, to what we are reading here. Even in... imagine how overwhelming this was to Daniel. Oh, like, yeah. no wonder he spent three weeks skipping lotion. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's helpful to me to remember that a lot of this is going to have to do with what happens in the intertestamental period. So, you know, the, the Bible quits, like inspired writing quits for about 400 years. And so the people of God are, are going to be like, wait, you know, where's God? Why do we have no prophets, you know, et cetera. And, and if they carefully studied these things, they would realize, okay, God said this power was going to rise and fall, and this power was going to rise and fall. And so a lot of this King of the North, King of the South stuff has to do with, you know, the the Syrians and the, um, and the Egyptians. And so you've got your Ptolemies and your Seleucid kings, one rises and one to prominence, and then another one rises to prominence back and forth, back and forth. But Jerusalem's in the middle of that kingdom, of those two kingdoms. And so Jerusalem's like the people of God, um, and they're going back and forth between world powers. And so that is basically where my reference to all this stuff kind of uh, uh, ends because I've, I've gotten familiarized enough with those initial visions that Daniel was having and understanding that succession of, of Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome and then we get into here in chapter 11 and we start talking about oh, this. Oh, wait, hang on a second. What I miss? There was one thing at the end of chapter 10 that really jumped out at me. I've read these words before, but this was the first time this stood out to me in, let's see. So in verse 21, it says, well, okay, so let's start in verse 20. So he says, so he's talking to Daniel. Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. Right. So he's taught. So this messenger, the, the angel is talking about where he's going to go after this. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Well, I, I searched my Bible and I don't have a book of truth. <laughs> and I, I would like that book, please. If the angels open reference to it, I would like to be able to read that. Where are you, Karen? In verse, verse 21. 1021. 
See, and New King James calls it scripture of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I was just taking that as I was just taking that as scripture in general. But I am with you. I don't. I don't know exactly where what he's talking about is. I don't know exactly what he's referring to in that. So well, I want a copy of it, whatever it is. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where this stuff is written down. I don't know. I, I don't know, and unless unless he's just talking about the visions that Daniel's already had, and is projecting forward to a time when this with Dan when Daniel will be considered scripture, because I've always you know I've always wondered when these prophets or these guys are writing these books, they're writing things down. Do they kind of have a concept that what they're writing is is scripture? I sort of doubt it because it all gets yeah. compiled later, and people you know even at this time. Really, I mean, what would they have had? They would have basically had the Torah. Were they, were they, how much were they referring to all these other prophets that we've been talking about? Who's most, a lot of, most of these, 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 uh, these prophecies are happening during this time of, of capture of, of uh, Judah. And so it seems unlikely to me that they would be considering this scripture yet, but maybe God would. I don't know. That is an interesting passage, Karen. I agree. I never noticed that before. Well, yeah. and I, I remember the first time I noticed in, gosh, what is it? Is it in is it in Jude where it talks about the book of Enoch? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The gospel of Enoch. I remember reading that as a kid and looking in my Bible going, well, where's the gospel of Enoch? I want one. You know, like if the if the if the apostles are reading the Gospel of Enoch, why? How come I don't get to? Well, okay, so now they've got the you know the Book of Enoch is out. You can listen to somebody read it on to you on YouTube, or you can download a PDF of it or whatever. I don't know if it's the same one, but there's one out now. Yeah, and it's yeah. pretty interesting. I've never right. read it. I, I'm pretty sure it's the only apocryphal work that is quoted in the New Testament. None of the others are ever quoted by Jesus yep. or the apostles. I and know the Book of Enoch is the only one. Uh-huh. And it's just a very slight reference to it. Yep, it's very fascinating. I was excited when I found it, and I was like, well, I am not 100% sure this is the same one, but I'm going to read it and see what I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Someday someday I, wanna, I want to read the Apocrypha, you know, just in an academic sense. I don't know. I mean, I know that, I, I know that a lot of the Apocrypha is held... Um, Oh, what, what's the word I want to use? Sacred uh, by by the Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, I've know, read it. I've got a I've got a Bible. It used to be my dad's. It's got a bunch of the extra books in it. You know, there's extra stories about Daniel. There's extra chapters to the Book of Esther. You know, there's some books about the Maccabees and different things like that. Yeah, they're they're pretty interesting. Yeah, I think there's some historical stuff to be gleaned from it. Uh, for some reason, at some point, people decided that. And I guess it's people who decided it, but for different reasons, decided that those. My understanding is that groups of scholars got together and read, you know, multiple old, old, old scrolls and and chose the ones that were included in the gospel as ones that directly pointed to Jesus and the, and the actual gospel, as opposed to ones that were of historical significance and interest, but did not point to Jesus. Yeah, I think they wanted, yeah, they were one of the ones that seemed to correlate enough with the rest of the Bible. 
I say the rest of with 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 what we have in the Bible, because and yeah. then those that weren't included for the large part, they just didn't refer enough to other other books, didn't refer enough to other things. And so they they couldn't be they, they decided they couldn't be trusted 100 percent. They might have value, but not. They, and they weren't, but not maybe not enough spiritual evidence to include them in what we consider the Bible. Well, I think it is important to understand this uh, clearly, and that's that, you know, there, um, yes, men decided what should be included and what shouldn't, but I feel like it's very important to understand that they did it for very legitimate reasons. Mm -hmm. So, and those reasons included the fact that certain books were written by very specific people, and those people were the leaders in Israel, whereas the Apocrypha was primarily written by people you know, during the intertestamental period, they were fictitious works. So a lot of them are almost like fantasy stories based on the idea that I'm going to write a book as though I am Elijah. And I'm going to write, and, but, but those, the manuscripts supporting those documents don't exist before 200 years before Christ. You know, and so they, they claim to be or they're written about things that happened in the very ancient past. But in reality, they don't exist until 200 years before Christ um, and things like that. And then there's other ones like the Gospel of Thomas that shows up later in history. So it purports to be Thomas's gospel, but it's written 400 years after Christ. So clearly Thomas is already dead. So it's not written by Thomas. Somebody just sort of wanted to write what they thought it would have been like. To mm-hmm. Jesus. And so I think, you know, there are people who spend their entire career verifying documents. And one of the things that really helped was the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, because the Dead Sea Scrolls verified that, you know, that certain of these books that we consider canonical existed 1100 years before Christ. And, and so these books were legitimately part of what the Jews had held on to as um, legitimate documents written by Moses, written by Isaiah, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's super helpful to keep in mind that it's not just, well, I think this one's good, or I think this one supports what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really verifying, you know, in their entire career, they are verifying um, this document has always existed since since Samuel was alive, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, so let's just let's suffice it to say, we human beings don't know everything. We don't, you know, we don't necessarily need to know everything. Uh, and and so, if there are some books that got lost, I I have enough faith to believe that what we have is what we need. So, yeah. Um, and, and and those other books, they might be interesting. You might be able to get something from them that that is good and worthwhile. But what we have in the compiled Bible is everything we need to understand about the character of God, the character of Jesus, the story of our rise or our, our creation, our fall and our being lifted back up to where where God always wanted us to be. So that's. That's what the Bible is, and that's what that's what we need. We, we and we don't need to get too worked up about other books that may or may not have some some value. Okay, well, that was a whole lot of stuff. There's a lot of uh, sort of uh, it can be confusing. 
I guess we just have to kind of keep our minds open and try to just let the scriptures be what they're going to be. But with that, I think this will conclude our time for this episode. Next week, we will get into Daniel chapter 11. We may probably finish the book. There's only two chapters left in the book of Daniel. And um, we hope that you will join us with that then. So be looking into those last couple of chapters. At least read them. Even if you don't understand them, at least read them. Uh, let that information come to you. And uh, while you're waiting for that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look us up on Facebook. Make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.